Support for WVIK comes from Kathleen Collins at the Dragonfly in Bettendorf. Using both conventional and alternative counseling methods for empowerment to help create change for individuals and couples. More information is at KathleenCollinsCounseling.com. A novel with its own discussion guide on Scribble. Welcome to Scribble, 30 minutes of conversation, comments, and reviews on reading and writing, editing, publishing, and selling books. I'm Rebecca Wee. And I'm Don Wooten. Tom McKay's latest novel comes with something extra. We'll ask him about that on Scribble. And it's prominently mentioned on the cover, a discussion guide. <laughs> Correct. Why the discussion guide? Well, um, the name of the novel is Lost in the Black Hologram, and it deals with race in America. So there are a lot of complex questions. There are a lot of uh, sensitive questions. And Tracy Williams, who collaborated with me on the novel, is, or on the discussion guide, rather, uh, is someone I met quite serendipitously, but uh, she took an interest in the novel. Hmm. You know, it is interesting you bring this point up. Your heroine is a black woman, and uh, and I've only read into the beginning of the book. I'm reading a biography of God. and uh, <laughs> <laughs> Is it an autobiography or is it a biography? <laughs> no, it's a biography. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> a great book, by the way. One of the most amazing things I've ever read. Oh. I'm a little more than halfway through, but it's long and it's, it's interesting. He treats God as a person and writes his biography according to what is in the Bible and how God starts out one way, goes another, contradicts himself, and so on. It's fascinating. Who is it? Who's the writer? Uh, I was afraid you'd ask that. Oh, okay. That's <laughs> all right. I think it's Jack Miles. Do you remember, What's the title? We can oh, look it up God, that way. Just bio, God? God, a biography. Okay. Yeah, right. it is... It got the uh, Pulitzer Prize back in 1996, I think, huh. and it really deserves it. I'd never heard of it. Huh. I just happened to run across it. But anyway, that's yeah, interfered to, with my back. reading your book. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it was it because, because there's so many people. I remember when the, the book came out about Nat Turner's rebellion, the slave rebellion. And uh, it was written by a white man, and black authors were very upset that a white man had presumed to write about that. And I thought, you've got to be kidding me. Well, that, that, will be a, that will definitely be a question about this book. There's, there's no doubt about it. I, I was working on the manuscript for this. In fact, I'd finished it. I was in a writer's group in Madison, Wisconsin. I, I lived there for 25 years. I worked for the State Historical Society. Mm. And one day, I, after writer's group, I was walking over to this grocery store next door, and my character in Lost in the Black Hologram is a six-foot-two-inch African-American woman who teaches at the University of Iowa, grew up in Milwaukee. So there was this tall African-American woman standing there, and I said, excuse me, <laughs> do you mind if I ask you how tall you are? And she says, well, I'm six-foot-two. And I said, well, you won't believe this, but I've been written this novel about a six-foot-two-inch African-American woman. And Tracy said, well, tell me about it. I said, well, she grew up in Milwaukee. Tracy says, I grew up in Milwaukee. <gasps> and I said, well... 
what do you do? She says, oh, I work here at the university. Oh, so man. she's in Madison rather than Iowa City. <laughs> then she said she wanted to read the manuscript, and she did. And we got together about a month later, and she said, Tom, I love this book. Uh-huh. She says the voices of the people are so much like the people that I knew uh, growing up in Milwaukee, and some of the experiences are similar to experiences I had. And she said, I, I'm also happy that it's about a strong, accomplished African-American woman, which Tracy is. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was working in... Um, diversity inclusion for the university at that time. Now she's the president and CEO of the YWCA of southeastern Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. We become good friends, but I hardly ever get to see her. She's so busy. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but she did collaborate with me on the discussion guide, and it was a tremendous help. She has perspectives I wouldn't have. And so yeah. it was now, did, uh, Was it her idea the, to do a discussion guide? No, it was my idea. I, I searched around for agents and publishers, and I went to some university presses, and I either got rejected or heard nothing. And mm. and um, Tracy had written me a very nice letter of support to use with agents and, and uh, publishers. But uh, one agent told me, well, I really like this, but I'm white and you're white, and I don't want to try to represent it. And uh-huh. So finally, last summer, I just told Tracy, Tracy, I'm not getting any younger. And if this book's going to be published, I think I'm going to have to go ahead through the Riverlights Publishing Service in Dubuque. The bookstore there has a publishing service, which is mm. wonderful. They published a couple of short story books for me. So, But I said, would you collaborate with me on a discussion guide? And she said, yes. And there we went. Uh-huh. Wow. And I, why, why were you prompted to do a discussion guide? Is it because of the racial aspect of a white person writing about a black person? No, it, it's really the, the actual situation in our country and people's attitudes and sensitive questions. I mean, there are questions about physical objectification of people, which happens yeah. a lot between races, and and um, most of it's pretty bad. Some of it is not as bad, but uh, uh, that was helpful to have Tracy's perspective on that because uh, it, it, it shows up in the book, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Uh, sexual objectification shows up in the book. You know, it's it was a strong factor in lynchings and such in the South. Yeah. You know that yeah. black men were dangerous to white women, yeah. and other cases, their sayings and stuff. So it, it was just so many sensitive issues. I thought we needed it. Uh huh. Well, very good. That's it's good for a book club. Yes. Yeah. That's a sense. Yeah. It's uh, how did you get into writing? We've had you on before about your books, and you uh, you just don't stop. <laughs> well, my my first novel was called West Fork. It was published by East Hall Press here at, at uh. Augustana. And I, I told you I worked in museums. My job in Wisconsin was to help small museums all over the state, and I'd help them with all kinds of things from designing exhibits to caring for their collections to fundraising. And I used to give a fundraising um, workshop, a three-hour session at Eastern Illinois University. They had a a training program for people going to work in small museums. So I would drive from Madison to, East to Charleston, very boring drive on the interstate. Oh, yeah. And one uh, one year I just detoured back onto Highway 78 near Kiwani. My aunt and uncle had a farm down there. This was in the 1990s. And you couldn't even recognize the landscape. The houses, the barns, the, fe- the fences were gone, just nothing but big fields mm-hmm. of soybean and corn. And I went through this little town of West Jersey, and I saw a school, a little brick school, the kind they built after all the one-room schools closed, they built these little brick schools out in the country. Well, if the people who built them could have seen what was coming, they never would have built them. They just would have said, well, we'll send mm-hmm. our kids into Kiwani or Toulon or wherever because with every farm that left, there were fewer kids to go into a little school like right. that, and pretty soon there just weren't enough. The school closed. It had been closed for a long time. Well, I thought there's a story in there, but I thought, I've written enough history. I don't want to write history. <laughs> so I wrote a novel based on, on that. That was the beginning. That was in the 1990s. Yeah. That's interesting, the impulse to write about something. 
Is that normal for you? Um, not in particular, no. I, I, I think I'm a, a bit of a storyteller. Um, when I was growing up, my family, my dad, my uncles, they were, they were storytellers, you know, just informally. A little bit of that, maybe. Uh-huh. Well, and it's a way of, um, what, documenting a, a, a little moment in time that you sense is leaving or you've seen that it's leaving um, so that people know that it was ever there. And I think know is a really crucial word that people have knowledge of things that they're not aware of. That's part of the reason why I did Lost in the Black Hologram. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent a lot of time working in inner city Milwaukee, which is almost entirely African-American. I worked with the um, uh, Wisconsin Black Historical Society Museum there on a, on a project, uh, an exhibit, an oral history collecting project. So I spent a lot of time in that community. And I think people have misconceptions or the things I learned that I wanted to share with other people and then things I've learned from yeah. from colleagues in the museum business. Uh, a good friend of mine is Lonnie Bunch, who was the founding director of the African-American Museum of History and Culture at the Smithsonian. Yeah. Conversations I've had with yeah. Lonnie through the years have informed parts of the book. Well, I must say, it's a, it, you get off to a very impressive start. Well, thank you. I think it's, a, you know, the, the characters are real and credible. Thank you. But let's, uh, let's dig into the book and have you read a little something from it. Okay. Where does this, where does this occur? This is in Iowa City. Uh, Emma Jean, the, the tall African-American woman who's the character in the book, is a theater professor there. Uh, she had great success with a play called The Black Hologram right out of college, out of graduate school really, and then didn't repeat that success as a playwright and has drifted into academia, first at Howard and in Washington, and then in Iowa City, where she already has some connections because her sister's been the basketball coach there for a long time. So where I'm going to pick up here, her sister Lou is has won an award for a series of sports camps she runs for uh, young women from disadvantaged neighborhoods and such. So yeah. they have to get prepared to go to the to the. Um, um, yeah. Okay, read slowly so I can catch everything. Okay, <laughs> and so she, uh, Emma Jean, who's divorced, but she has a young daughter, Shay, uh, they're going out to shop for a dress for Shay. There's the store. Emma Jean pointed to her left as they came to the end of the block. A 1950s sign with small neon tubes and script lettering identified the Mrs. to Mrs. shop. This place looks old, Shay said. They going to have anything I like? Now you listen up, girl. You ain't dressing up to be on MTV or someplace. This is a fancy banquet where your Aunt Lou gets honored. You're going to show him a proper young lady when you walk into that ballroom. You hear what I'm saying? Okay, Mama, I was just asking. Shay could tell from Emma Jean's voice not to push. Whenever her mother got on edge, her words started coming out a lot more like Shay's grandmother than like a college professor. There was enough of Grandma in Emma Jean's voice now for Shay to keep more comments about the Mrs. to Mrs. shop to herself. A small brass bell mounted on the doorframe rang as Emma Jean and Shay entered the shop. The only people in the store were two immaculately dressed and carefully made-up women standing behind a counter near the cash register. May we help you? One of the women asked coolly. We'd like to look a moment, Emma Jean answered. My daughter needs a nice dress. Oh, I see. Our missus section is toward the back. You will notice that all of our prices are clearly marked. The women maintain their positions near the register, but their eyes fixed on Shay and Emma Jean, walking back to the missus section of the store. 
Mother and daughter made their way to a small clothes rack hung with long evening dresses. Somehow the number of sleeveless gowns with skinny little shoulder straps caught Emma Jean by surprise. They seemed so revealing for a 13 or 14-year-old girl. Her eyes fell on a silk blend dress with short sleeves and beautiful brocaded flowers running across the bodice and down one side of the skirt. Shay reached for a sleeveless black velvet gown with tiny sparkling beaded florets. Emma Jean looked at the price on each dress, $230 for the silk brocade, $180 for the black velvet. The extra $50 struck her as worth the money to keep Shay covered up a little better. <laughs> Still, she couldn't help but notice that her daughter had excellent taste. The two clerks approaching from the front of the store had also noticed the selections. I'm not sure either of those will fit, one woman commented. Your daughter is quite tall. She's 5'8 and still growing. Emma Jean gestured to her own 6'2-inch stancher. She might even catch me someday. Uh, perhaps so, but the items here in Mrs. are probably too short, the second clerk chimed in. And the gowns up front are cut for a woman. I think this one is long enough, Emma Jean said, holding the silk brocade up to Shay. I shouldn't say the question is Link alone, the clerk said. The young lady is quite high-waisted. We pride ourselves on our service. We wouldn't sell a dress that doesn't have the proper fit. Maybe she's right, Mama, Shay said. This one with the straps might fit me better. Of course, I hate to contradict a customer, young lady, but the problem could. Emma Jean cut off the clerk in mid-sentence. I think my daughter is right. I'd like to see how you look in that dress, sugar. Why don't you try it on? I'll unlock the fitting room, the first woman said, resuming her cool tone. We do limit customers to only one of the better dresses at a time in the fitting room. The clerks moved away while Emma Jean stood near the fitting room door. She heard the sounds of shade changing clothes in the small dressing area. She could also hear the stage whispers of the two salespeople. You try to be delicate, and it doesn't help, one woman murmured. I'm just glad she tried on the sleeveless gown, the second one said. We might well have had to dry clean the perspiration out of the other. As fury grew within Emma Jean, Shay emerged from the <coughs> excuse me, Shay emerged from the dressing room. She was every inch a beautiful young woman as she stood in front of her mother, and much more important, Shay's face revealed no indication that she had overheard the two bigots staring back from the front of the store. You're lovely, sugar, Emma Jean said softly. But that dress shows an awful lot of shoulders and back. I have to think about whether you're ready for it. But Mama, Shay said, now I said I have to think about it. Besides, Imogene raised her voice, I don't think this place lives up to its reputation for quality. <clears throat> Shay's shoulders slumped as she stepped back into the dressing room. Imogene turned and glared at the two women who stood frozen at the one, of, one of the clothes racks in the front. Finally, they moved to a second rack and pretended to busy themselves. Shay opened the door of the dressing room and held up the dress. What should I do with this? Just leave it there, Emma Jean answered. They can take care of it. Is something wrong, Mama? Shay asked as she walked past the clerks. There are a lot of things wrong in this world, sugar. <laughs> oh, nicely done. Very good. <laughs> there are a lot of things wrong in this world. <laughs> well, you navigate that in such an interesting way way with you know the different voices yeah. and it's four women you know two of them as you rightly <laughs> name them bigots later on but also the mother daughter you know just the kind of practical things you have to think about at that yeah where does that age? come from because it certainly sounds authentic 
Uh, it's not an experience I had, but I, it, it's reflective of the fact that for African-American people, this type of racism can come up at any time in any yeah. situation. Yeah. yeah. And it's um, uh, it makes me a little emotional just to think about yeah. it, you yeah, know, me in too. all honesty. I had a young woman I in 1987. Uh, just to show you how these things can come up, I had a young African-American woman I hired to work at the Historical Society on a, a program that wanted to give minority students a chance to learn about working in state government. Mm-hmm. And I had a, uh, I won't say gentleman, had a man come into my office, a priest. Mm-hmm. And Angie was working across the hall with the door open. I was in the office of the priest. And he'd worked in a little town called Mazomani, which I knew, a nice town. I mentioned that. And he said, well, I'm in Beloit now. And he said, well, that's interesting. The college is there and everything. He said, well, I don't like it. There's too much crime. He said, one of my parishioners, one of my older women parishioners, her house was broken into. And she was just lucky she wasn't home because it was probably some big black buck. And you can fill the next one. Oh. oh, dear. Oh, my goodness. You know, that's... That's the thing. You, uh, some of these people associate black men with crime. And I wonder what it's like to grow up with that. Because one of the problems you have in a society is that after a while you tend to conform to what society demands. Yeah. And if that's what society demands of black men, what kind of future can they have? Well, you conform or you have to be fighting all the time yeah. and, you know, on on alert for yeah. when the next. And that's why the discussion guide is in the book. Yeah. Because they're, these are they're hard questions. I mean, and then you have to know uh, whether you're white, whether you're black, how do you respond? In, in the case of the priest, I got really angry and I stood up and I said, you have to get out of my office. <laughs> did you? <laughs> well, and, I did. And did he? He did because I escorted him out, and then I escorted him all the way out of the building, oh. which I, I know I had the right to escort him out of my office, but I didn't have the right to kick him out of a public building in Wisconsin, <laughs> but I did anyway. But, you know, is that the right thing, or should you try to reason with somebody? Should you try to get through? And anger probably isn't the best thing, but I was angry. Yeah. Well, I don't... And Angie had heard the whole thing across the hall, too. I, well, I... so she felt possibly relieved to have you on her side? Yeah, well, we, yeah. In fact, she didn't just get involved in well, she didn't get involved in state government, but she decided she wanted to work in museums. So I helped her uh, with the, get started in her career. Then she she um, moved on to be a, a, a people and cultures director for a, a food safety organization outside Washington D.C. And you were one of the blurbs on the back of the, on the, back yeah. of the book. It's uh, you know the, one of the things that uh, we champion in this country is diversity, but we don't mean it. And that's the thing that bugs me. You know, if you say it, do it. Mm-hmm. And if you can't do it, don't say it. But uh, democracy, you know, we talk about the melting pot. Nothing melts in this country. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, I, I don't know, I've, I've often wondered, how do you get around that? And I think the only way to do it is to have closer contact between individuals of different kinds and to celebrate differences. Don't complain yeah. about them. Just celebrate the fact that we're different and uh, we honor that difference. That's hard to do. It is. And then, again, Tracy provided perspectives that I wouldn't have because, I mean, she, in, in, she point, pointed out in several places to me in the book, she didn't want the book changed. She liked the book. But she said, you know, diversity 
and inclu- inclusion are are not the same thing. You can be mm-hmm. invited into a university setting and uh, still not feel like you really belong there. Yeah. When I, when, yeah. This book begins in, in the year 2000 just because there's some historical aspects that only work out if it begins back there and not right now. Okay. Um, but at that time at the University of Wisconsin, that was a big question amongst African-American students in particular. Yes, we're here, but, but we feel welcome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I remember when, uh, when we finally began to behave like grown-ups and let uh, African-Americans into institutions and so on, and then they reacted normally because when they go to lunch, they'd sit together. People mm-hmm. would say, "Well, why aren't they scattered out? You know, and and uh, why don't they move out within the white population? They stay together." But I think that's normal behavior for people. You stay close to folks that you're familiar with. Well, and, and skin color is such a blatant signal, you know. Well, and where you feel safe and accepted too, you yeah. know. It's uh, I love that you were so immediate in your advocacy in that because um, I think that's worth, you know, anything you can say about it is to, to stand up and, yeah, to stand up to power uh, when it's wrong. I think you have to do that sometimes. On the other hand, it probably didn't help change his attitudes any, but it probably wouldn't have changed anyway. He was Yeah. Yeah. Well. But but the fact that you advocated for your student assistant and she heard it and yeah. she saw it and yeah. that's you're yeah. protecting her. Yeah. yeah, it meant a lot to Angie. That's true. Yep. So what's your next novel? <laughs> you know, I don't think I have a next novel. This this one is self published through the the service in Dubuque, and right now, libraries and bookstores are just overwhelmed by a tsunami of self published books. Oh yeah, and oh. it's getting a little harder to. You know, get your books on the shelves or the relationship. West Fork, I mentioned, was set in rural areas, and, and because of it, it really dealt with how rural culture changed as farms got bigger and bigger, and there were, what happened to communities who were no longer farm families supporting them, you know, just a handful of farms out there. So I gave a lot of copies of that to um, uh, rural libraries. Well, there you go in, there's a librarian or maybe a librarian and an assistant librarian. Well, I want to give this book to uh, uh, communities that have a more diverse uh, population, so mm-hmm. I want to go to cities like Milwaukee, Madison, etc. Yeah. Uh, the hoops to go through to get your book, even if you're giving it to them, are a lot more complicated. <laughs> Isn't that something? Uh, well, they, they just get so many people who say, "Hey, I've got a book," you know. So yeah, yeah. What is this impulse to write? I, I always hope that I'm writing about something important. Like I've got, I've got something to say about something important, uh, and so. Although I have to admit, last time I was on Scribble, it was about a book called The Old Guard that I wrote just to make people laugh. So I don't know. (laughs) That matters. Well, I think it works. In fact, one night I didn't have anything to read I liked. I woke up in the middle of the night, as old people like me do, and I uh, couldn't get back to sleep. I wanted to read something. I thought, you know, that book was pretty funny. I read my own book. Uh, did it make you laugh? <laughs> it did make you laugh. There are quite a few parts I'd forgotten, so it did make me laugh. That's... Well, you found your audience. Yes, you did. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I'm my own best audience. I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> uh, what are you doing these days? Well, I'm still president of the Hampton Historical Society, and we, you know, we just got done fighting a flood, and now we have an historical monument there that's really owned by the village, but it's uh, in bad condition. It needs restoration. 
We're raising some money to help with that. And uh, with this book, I'm trying to get it out as much as I can. So I've had a couple of signings already, one in Galesburg, one over in Davenport. And uh, I've got about 15 or so book events, signings, library programs scheduled between now and the end of summer. So I'll be pretty busy with this book. You know, that's I had a book signing event in a couple of places when I put out a collection of my columns. And I thought, this is pretty discouraging. <laughs> People are not fighting to get in the door. Uh. That's pretty true. I mean, I, I, uh, the, the two signings I've had so went, went pretty well. Uh, there are quite uh-huh. a few people. But I don't do readings at a bookstore because the only people who show up are your family and friends when you do a reading at a bookstore. So. Yeah, that's, that's true. Now, Rebecca, maybe you've thinking, had a different experience. Well, no, that's, that's fairly fairly common, I'm afraid. But I was wondering if the Artsy Bookstore, is that the right name? Artsy Bookworm. Bookworm, that's right. Do they have it? They do have it. Okay, good. Uh, They have it. uh, Brood Book and Book Rack over in Davenport have it. Uh, um, Exotic Imports and Vicky's Rocks Readings Books, Moline's have it. Uh, It's in Galesburg at the Wordsmith. I think they're in your listening area. Okay. uh, uh, Books on First and Dixon. And if Uh, listeners want to Track it down. Can they? Where can they get it? How I don't have much of an it? online presence, but if you go to virtually any any uh, independent bookstore between Cedar Rapids and Ottawa, Illinois, and DeKalb or Milwaukee and okay. and Galesburg or Peoria, they'll ha- they'll have it there. Uh-huh. There's a map that's out the uh, 2023 bookstore indie bookstore roadmap. Oh. You go to any bookstore, uh, nice. any small independent bookstore, they'll have one. They'll give it to you. And in that geographical region I just described, you know, Spring Green, Wisconsin, down to Burlington, if there's a bookstore listed in there in that sort of broad geographical eastern. So do they have it at Prairie Lights? They have it at Prairie Lights. Now, if you if you want to find it at Prairie Lights, the the, uh, local authors are kind of up in a corner on the second floor. You really have to ask. Well, that's you know that's a great little thing. Oh, it is. It's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that's something worth having. Yeah, they have it at the Artsy Bookworm. I saw I did a signing at the Brood Book. I saw it over there. They, down in Galesburg at Wordsmith, I they have, they have it there. So you go into, independent bookstores are wonderful, and they're all different. Yeah. Some are a little gift shop. Some's a coffee shop. You know, some's yeah. a used bookstore. They're wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, I've got to get hold of one of those because that's uh, first of all I want to talk to owners of bookstores, and uh, it helps to know how many there are. <laughs> yeah. You know, there there are new ones forming. I just got my book into a book called Kismet, bookstore called Kismet, which is in Verona, Wisconsin, just outside of Madison. Hmm. And one in the Robin's Nest in DeKalb. A woman named Robin runs the bookstore. And um, Daydreamers in Lake Mills, Wisconsin. Those three have all formed within the last couple of years. And Artsy Bookworm is about in that time frame, yeah, too. Yeah, Maybe a little were. more than that. So people are still starting independent bookstores. That's... That amazes me because, uh, you know, it's, it's not a land office business. It's... Uh, uh, you know, people come into bookstores now and then, and uh, when you invest in a an establishment, or if you own the building, that's one thing. But if you're running it, that's another. So the expense of staying in business is such that you need customers. You you certainly do. That's why I wanted to mention all these bookstores. Yeah. And yeah. and in, you know, a book like this, Lost in the Black Hologram, I think it has something important to say about race in America. Yeah. But I'm not a well-known author. I'm not going to be on the shelves in Barnes and Noble. Uh, so, you know, these are the these are the outlets where maybe somebody can read this and and think about the, yeah. the topic. Okay. The title of the book again. Lost in the Black Hologram. And that's the play she wrote. It was a a one-time wonder, and that happens to so many people. 
It does. <laughs> the tough thing in life is following up with the second act. But you've done that. You wrote your funny book. Now you wrote a serious book. Yeah. Thank you. What's next, Tom? I, I I really don't know. I mean, what I told Tracy last summer is true. I'm really not getting any younger, and I don't know without. I mean, I've got things I've written. I'll tell you what's next. Lonnie Bunch is a good friend of mine, and I just sent the book to him. He said he's traveling. He's going to read it while he's traveling. And um, when he was the um, founding director of the african-american museum at the smithsonian his board included oprah winfrey what i hope is next is lonnie gives it to oprah and i hear from her oh, there you go. <laughs> I mean, well, but I, i'm not gonna hold my breath <laughs> i wish you the greatest success because the book really is worth reading thank you and uh i say that when i'm only into it but uh it's very promising no. Thank you very much for being here, Tom. Thank we you. Appreciate it. Yeah. I'm Don Wooten with Rebecca Wee. This is Scribble, and it comes up again next week. We hope to have you here. <laughs>